Hey, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this beautiful Sunday morning. We thank you for the wonderful sunshine and the warm weather. But Lord, most of all, we ask that you would take the time that we have dedicated to your worship this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to help us as we sing these songs in praise and glory to your name. Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching time and the invitation and the baptismal and all that goes on this morning, the special music. For Lord, we'd only have one purpose here today, and that is to lift up your name and your goodness and see your work accomplished in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain to Acts chapter 1, and we'll get to the scripture there in just a moment. How many of you enjoying the warm, beautiful spring weather? I mean, it's almost like summer, isn't it? And uh, they say it's going to get extremely warm this week. And uh, I'll tell you, we just doesn't do any good to complain about the weather. You might as well just enjoy it. Amen. As they said, it won't be here long. Uh, something else will come up. And uh, we'll just uh, praise the Lord for his goodness and his grace. How many of you heard the firecrackers going off last night about midnight? Uh, Greek uh, Easter has come. And uh, that's one of the ways they celebrate Easter is to set off all the fireworks about midnight, about 11 o'clock. Or uh, I started hearing little noises. Oh, yes. So I was wondering when Greek Easter was. And so I heard all that. And um, I enjoy Easter. I enjoy everybody's attention. It's kind of like Christmas. Even the world stops and pays a little bit of attention to the truths that are in this book called the Bible. Amen? But just like Jesus didn't come so we could celebrate Christmas, nor did he rise again from the dead just so we could celebrate Easter. It is a daily process. And what I want us to do here is just kind of pick up where we left off last week. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus came back out of that tomb and uh, there have been many people over the years that have tried to contradict that and, and say it didn't happen. And they offered all kinds of excuses. But if you'll just read the Bible, you will find a foolproof testimony. You see, when people sit down and try to make up a story, what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is they try to think of everything. And in thinking of all of those details, they put things together that actually betray the fact that the story is made up. Now, when you get independent testimony, meaning they didn't sit down in a room and try to figure out what the story was before they wrote it, you get little differences of opinion. You get little different shadings of, of what happened. And that's exactly what we have in the scriptures. Uh, as I said before, there's been many. There was one famous fellow. He was a judge. And he had spent his whole life weighing evidence. And he came to, he came to his retirement and he said, the first thing I'm going to disprove, now that I have time, and I have all this experience. I'm going to disprove the resurrection. Make a long story short, he became a Christian. 
He said, I couldn't disprove the story. The laws of evidence demanded that Jesus Christ was really dead and that he really came back to life. And all God's people said, that single event is the center of all history. That is what this book called the Bible is all about. But just like salvation, you see, false religion always does everything backwards. False religion gives you an entire lifetime of service, and when you die, a hope so of heaven. How many of you used to go to a church like that, attend a religion like that? I did the, do the best I can, and maybe someday, my, one of my favorite statements I like to hear people, I don't like to hear people say it, but I hear it all the time is, well, you really can't know until after you die. I mean, the only statement I've heard ever close to that, don't mean to be too political this morning, we had a Speaker of the House said, well, you can't find out what's in the bill until after you vote for it. How many of you remember that? I mean, one of the dumbest statements of all time, what are Congress people supposed to do? They're supposed to find out what they're voting for and vote for it on purpose, right? Why do you go to church? Well, so I can die and maybe, if everything works out just right, God will let me slip into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Does that make sense, my friend? It shouldn't. Because that's not what the Bible is about. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may, who knows what the next word is? Know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, that kind of just puts us right here where I want to start reading. In verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, the apostles have met with the resurrected Christ. And Jesus has told them that they need to wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And they, in verses 5 and 6, ask Jesus, Is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? And where we want to begin our study this morning is, And he said unto them, in verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is what we commonly call the ascension. Jesus came to earth through the miracle of the virgin birth. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He then, as the story that we just read, ascended back into heaven with a promise that he would return. On Thursday night, we're going through the book of Revelation. This should be our 34th lesson, I believe, in the book of Revelation. And we're almost through chapter 
uh, 11, uh, about halfway through the book. Uh, we're going to take time, I, I believe, in studying the Bible verse by verse. But everybody wants to know who the Antichrist is, when Jesus is coming back, and what did Jesus tell the disciples? It is not for you to know. You see, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to know about our salvation. Nobody knows about that. Nobody's worried about it. If I go to church, I'm as good as the next guy. Well, who's your next door neighbor anyway? Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, some of you may remember him. Uh, listen, you don't want to be as good as your next door neighbor. You don't know who he is. You don't know what he's been doing. If you're not righteous by God's standards, you're not getting into heaven. And yet we don't worry about our salvation. We worry about who the Antichrist is. How many of you remember uh, Doomsday? Last year, May 2011. Anybody remember the big billboards and all? Did it happen? No. Uh, Mr. Camping is one of those few people in history that left no Bible doctrine unperverted. I, I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that that man didn't mess up, but he had enough people following him that they were buying big billboards all over New York City to say when Jesus is coming back. And of course, Jesus said, No man knoweth the day or the hour. And Mr. Camping said, But you can know the season. But the verse we just read, Jesus said, It is not for you to know the day or the seasons. And I want to warn you, the Lord is working on my heart on a sermon that you're going to get here sooner or later. We worry about the things that God doesn't want us to worry about. And we pay no attention to the things that God wants us to spend our life being concerned about. Now, we don't have time for that this morning. But that is the beginning of this passage. The name of this morning's sermon is after. What about after Jesus rose from the dead? What was the purpose? What is the reason? How do we understand and live that truth? As the Bible tells us that we ought to, number one, it is not for us to worry about the things that God has put in his own power. How many of you said a prayer for the people that and the families that were harmed in the tornadoes out in the Midwest in the past couple of days? I hope you have. I hope you're mindful. But if you stay awake worrying about whether a tornado is going to hit New York City, you're worrying about things that God has put under his own power and not taking care of the things that God wants you to take care of. How many of you worry uh, if there's another... Uh, uh, natural disaster, a world event. How, how many are worried about what's going on in Iran today as to whether they're going to be, uh, their nuclear program is going to be successful or not? How many of you are worried about the plottings and the plannings of men? I still run into some freaks out there who says George Bush is responsible for 
Oh, I have no pity for those people. If you're that dumb, I'm sorry. Uh, but you were born that way, amen? I, I mean, it's just a mess. And we have people out there that are so concerned about the conspiracy, so concerned that somehow man is going to destroy the, un- the, the planet Earth on which we live by driving a gasoline-burning automobile. When Mount Pinatubo, with one eruption, put more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere than man has in his entire 6,000-year history. Don't give me that stuff. I'm not for destroying the environment, but I believe in a God who's a little bit bigger than we are. Amen? I believe in a God that made this planet big enough that we don't have to worry about messing it up. And I also believe in a God that gave us enough sense not to be stupid about it. Amen? You got to work on these things. But you know, we have more people worried about global warming than we do about their own souls. Remember a lady used to live on this block. We, My children will remember her well. We affectionately called her the cat lady. She was much more concerned about homeless cats than she was about her own soul. You see, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the things that the Father hath put under His own will. It's not for you to worry about the things that God is going to take care of. But there is something that you are supposed to be concerned about. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It says, but ye shall receive power. Now, power is an interesting word, is it not? I mean, it is something that if we were honest, every person in this room wants some degree or another. Maybe you just want enough power to stop your teenager from arguing with you. Uh, maybe you just want enough power to make your little one sit through a church service. Uh, maybe you want enough power to make that ignorant husband of yours listen. Amen? Uh, maybe you want enough power to make your boss understand that you are really worthy of that raise that he refuses to give you or she refuses to give you for some reason. Somebody says, I, I want enough power to make the world a good place. Well, let me tell you something. Only Jesus has that power. But the Bible says right here, Jesus is speaking, but ye shall receive power. Now, please be careful. Don't tune in to TVN. They talk about power that is very scary. God does not give his servants power over the devil in that aspect. You know, don't get into a conversation with the devil, my friend. You will always lose. He is much smarter than you are. If you want to be concerned, it says that you receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I want us to take just a few minutes. We've got to put some uh, uh, doctrinal context in here. What is being spoken of here uh, 
if we go back to verse 5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, what Jesus is speaking about here is he's speaking about a change in the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you remember David when he had sinned with Bathsheba and finally was convicted of his sin through Nathan the prophet? And he prayed, and we have part of his prayer uh, recorded in, in Psalm 51. And David prays and says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why would David say that? Because God did take his Holy Spirit away from King Saul. And King Saul spent 38 of his 40 years as king of Israel on the shelf, spiritually speaking, trying to serve God without the power of the Holy Spirit of God, giving him the ability to do what God wanted him to do. Jesus had made some promises to the disciples. He told them in John 14, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I leave you not comfortless, I will come to you. This ideal that we often as New Testament Christians just take for granted, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Jesus was speaking about here. He says you're going to be baptized with, you've been baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. It's not uh, the phenomena, it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that happens at the moment of salvation that Jesus is speaking about. It says, once the Holy Spirit is come upon you, you're going to receive power. Now, how many of us have felt that power this week? Don't raise your hands. Just want to want you to think about it. I dare say most of us would go through a week totally unreliant. May I use the word ignorant of or not paying attention to at all? The power that Jesus spoke about here in Acts chapter 1. That we go through our daily life trying to serve God, trying to do the things, asking God, praying. And we pay very little attention to the power of of the Holy Spirit of God that is supposed to be the source and the reason for everything we do as a servant of Christ. How many of you have ever wondered why it's so hard to live the Christian life? Why it's so difficult? Well, how many of you got one of those Newfangled electric can openers. It's not really newfangled. They've been around for a long time. 
You plug it in. You put the can in and press a button and, and it opens the can. Pretty neat. Have you ever tried to use one of those things if it's not plugged in? Doesn't work very well now, does it? How many of you have ever tried to get something to work and found out you forgot to plug it in? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Oh, good. I saw at least one or two hands out there. Listen. We wonder why our Christianity doesn't work. Maybe you're not plugged in. The power that we are supposed to serve Christ in is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. When we pray, by the way, let me give you a quick update, answer to prayer. How many of you prayed for Becky Mack and her illness? We got a phone call from Bobby, their uh, internet's all down there in Cote d'Ivoire, and, and uh, they managed to get a phone call through to Bobby that uh, uh, Becky is doing much better. Bobby's their oldest son, he's a student in Florida in Bible College, called us before church this morning, said, one of, mom wants to thank you for, for your prayers and let you know the reason she hasn't called. It's not because she's sick. It's just because the Internet's down. She can't get the phone call out. But how about a power that reaches 6,000 miles away and works in an unseen way? I like that kind of power. That, that's just one example of the power that Jesus is speaking of here. It says, but ye shall receive power. Now, let me tell you something. If you lick your finger and stick it in a light socket without the bulb screwed in, you are going to feel power. In fact, if you feel it in the right place, you may drop dead to the floor. Please do not try that at home. It's not a recommendation, all right? But how many of you have ever picked up an electrical cord that was running an air conditioner or some heavy-duty piece of equipment? Oftentimes... Well, last night we were running our baptistry heater. That takes 30 amps of 208 or 220 power. Uh, the cord is about this big around. And as we're running the baptistry heater, I want to make sure that that cord, though it's very oversized, is not going to overheat. And so I'll pick up that cord. You know what? I can't feel the power moving through the cord at all. And that's a good thing. Because if I did, I wouldn't be preaching this morning if I were still alive. But the power is flowing and it is actually getting something done. The problem that I have with TBN and many of these television preachers out there is they're talking about feeling the power, but what are they getting done? except a big offering and a television camera. Hey, what are they getting done? 
The Bible tells us that this power that is going to come upon you, uh, that after that you're going to receive, after the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, is a power that's going to manifest itself in ways that people can see. And so let's just look through this thing here. Verse 8 again, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me. If the power is working, you're going to tell other people about Jesus. If you're not telling other people about Jesus, I want to challenge you. The power is not working. It says... You're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Now, what are you going to be witnesses of? Unto me. How are we a witness unto Jesus? How many of you have met one of our our friendly uh, neighborhood Jehovah's Witnesses? Are they witnessing about Jesus? No. Because they'll say... We're here to tell you about the Bible, but you can't understand the Bible unless you have one of our Watchtower Bible and Tract Society books. That's the first sign that ought to tell you they're not witnessing about Jesus. Is when they have to get somebody else's book. And let me tell you, there have been people all down through history who believe very similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, different spurious names and groups, but no one, no one group of people have come up with the unique doctrinal stance that that organization has come up with, except people who read their literature and are part of that organization. It's just like we have how many different kinds of churches? One of the questions people often ask. Well, why Why do you use the name Baptist? I mean, why, why, why are there, there have to be so many divisions in the body of Christ? And, and I want to stop and make a correction. The body of Christ is the local church. And the last time I looked around, we don't have a lot of division in here. Because we're supposed to serve Christ, Christ's way. And one of the reasons we're together as a church is because we agree on how we're going to serve Christ just from the Bible. You know what? There's not a set of books in my office that says what Baptists believe and how they practice. Nobody could write that book. Because there's 150 mainline divisions in the Baptist group. And nobody fights like Baptists, fight with each other. It's just the way it is. There are Baptists who would be more comfortable in a Roman Catholic Mass than they would be in this service. Yet they still use the name Baptist. 
There are many Baptists who would be more comfortable in a, in a Protestant reformed type church than they would be in our services because their doctrine is different. You see, nobody owns the name. And just to prove how ridiculous it can get, Al Sharpton claims to be a Baptist preacher. Can you get any more ridiculous than that? Now, he preaches a lot of stuff, but none of it comes from this book called the Bible. The reason we use the name Baptist is historically, it means people who believe nothing but the Bible. That's the historical definition. They were called Anabaptists before in the Middle Ages, and then they were called all kinds of names before that. But one thing we don't do here is we don't preach open-door Bible Baptist Church because salvation is not in our church. The power is not in this building or in this organization. In fact, you can't become a member of our church until after the issue of salvation is settled first. Little Esther came and said, Daddy, I want to be baptized. And I said, well, Esther, do you know you're saved? Well, I think so. I said, you know, that doesn't work. And we went through the plan of salvation and went through the scriptures and Finally, we got to a point where I said, you know, Esther, one of the reasons daddy makes you wait is because up here, your brain is still growing. And it just needs to settle some things. You say, how can a person know that they're saved? There's only one way I could know that I'm saved. Only one way you could know that you're saved. It's obedience to what the Bible says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What's the last phrase of that verse? Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house, it's not only for you, it's for anyone who will believe. Amen? So, we get back to the point here. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit is given to all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The power is there. It's much better... Not to feel the power, to allow the power to pass through the cable and make the motor or the machinery work. Are we still all together? Now the question is, did that happen in your life this week? Did that happen in my life this week? Let me just touch on one more verse before we get into that completely. It says, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not about you, my friend. It's about God. 
It is his power that saves you. It is his power that is going to make you a witness. No, we are not witnessing of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Yes, we want every person that is saved who is willing to covenant together with us to be baptized and be a member of this church and we want to serve the Lord together. Would it be better if we had 500 people instead of 100 people? I don't know if we could fit that many in the building, but we try, amen? But instead of worrying about what we don't have, let's serve God with what we do have. Amen? Because all of those things God has put under his power. We're not going to worry about that. We're going to be witnesses. Now, most people, when they read this, as Jesus is giving geographic centers, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Uh, I want to make sure that we get this next little word here. Both. What does the word both mean? It means together. You see, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth, it's not just good enough for you to be a witness at home. Many years in the early 1800s, there were some men that said, listen, we've got to be witnesses in places where the Bible has never been. And I remember they wrongly attribute this quote, but If the Lord wanted to save the heathen, he would do it without your help. But I'm glad there were men like William Carey, who was a Baptist, who took the gospel to India. I'm glad there were men like Adoniram Judgeon, who went to Burma with the gospel. I'm glad there are men living today that take the gospel all over the world. Now, I've not been in the ministry that incredibly long time, just over 25 years, almost 26. But I'll tell you, I've been in lots of churches. And I've seen both extremes on the pendulum. I've seen churches so concerned about their local area that if you wanted to take the gospel to a foreign field, they didn't have enough money to get you out of town, fill your gas tank. Of course, that was back when gas was... 90 cents a gallon, not like it is today. They didn't have anything for you. Because we got to work here and we got to do everything here. And then I've been in other churches. I remember calling preachers up and saying, the Lord's called me to go to New York City and start a church in Astoria, Queens. We don't support home missionaries, Click. So, whoa, wait a minute. There are more churches per capita in almost any city of the world than there are here. Talking about Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. It's a scary thought. If you want to leave our church and go along the north shore of Long Island, you'd find a few churches that tentatively preach the gospel, but you're not going to get to a, 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 a good church until you get all the way out to Stony Brook. I believe that's close to 60 miles. We, we need some churches around here. 
But it says both. I praise the Lord that we've been able to be here at Open Door since its beginning in October of 1992. Just now, as we complete our 20th year, you know what I'm running into? Oh, I know who you are. I see your family. Do you know how long it takes to get noticed around here? Because people are here today, they're gone tomorrow. Listen. Ye shall be witnesses. When I was a kid, the new type of evangelism was lifestyle evangelism. You just live for Jesus in front of your neighbors and they'll ask you who he is. You know what? That doesn't work in New York City. Because you just become another weirdo among the great library of weirdos that we keep on the shelves around here. Amen? What makes you weird? Uh, And, I mean, the simple truth of the matter is, if you're not witnessing with your life, you're not witnessing with your words very effectively. You got to have both. And this is what Jesus is talking about, that power. Does it feel like the power of God when you go into work the next tomorrow morning and somebody starts telling a dirty joke in the break room and you walk out? Does that feel like the power of God? Probably not, but let me tell you it is. How many of you remember Brother Dave Rodriguez when he visited with his family a few weeks ago? Brother Dave... uh, Attended our church for several years. He got married while he was a member here. And he and Jill came down right after they were married. Dave worked in a print shop that's no longer uh, in business in Long Island City. I think they moved down to Brooklyn or something. But he he was a commercial pressman. Ran a great big uh, uh, Heidelberg press. A million dollar piece of machinery. And while he was at work... He went in there as a just a young man and started working with men that were much his senior in experience, age, and all of these things. But David had a testimony. One time the boss said, I want you to get me a set of plates here. I got to check this. And Dave said, I can't do it. And his boss said, you get those plates or I'm going to fire you. He said, I'm not going to do it. They're in the dirty cabinet. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you remember you made the guys take down all the dirty pictures and put them in one cabinet? He said, the plates are in the dirty cabinet. If you want them, you go get them and I'll work with you, but I'm not opening that cabinet and looking at the dirty pictures. His boss went nuts. After he stopped screaming the next 15 minutes, he tore down all the pictures and he said, no more pictures in this place forever. Uh... That's a pretty good witness for Jesus now, isn't it? If he'd have gone in there 
with a flamethrower and a hatchet and tried to get rid of all the dirty pictures in that work the first day he'd have been sent to prison forever. You know it? But through the power of witnessing for God and maintaining a good testimony, hey, guess what? Something happened that was good. Can I hear an amen on that? You see, if you're going to witness across the ocean, you're going to have to witness next door. If you're going to witness about the goodness of of Jesus in your life by telling other people and giving tracts, hey, let me tell you something, you better have a life that reflects the grace of Christ. Amen? Do you know how much power it takes to reflect the image of God in your life? Let me tell you, it takes more power than any human being in here ever could have. It takes the very power of God Himself. That's what He wants you and I to do. How many of you have ever been in one of those places where they have all those funny-looking mirrors that distort you? Some people call it a beauty shop. You ever seen one of those things? You, you, uh, we were in a hotel the other day, and it had one of those mirrors in it, and I turned it over, and there was me four times. Average size. I mean, scared to live in daylights out of me. How in the world could you handle that? It's 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, come on. But what do we do when we reflect Jesus? Do people see a clear image of Jesus Christ? Or do they see some perverse, strange, twisted image? Let me tell you, only the power of God makes a clear image of Jesus Christ come through your life. I've got good news for you, church. Our missions giving is going up. This continues. We may be able to add a few more missionaries. Guess what? That's both. I want us to start taking account of the people that go out passing out tracts during the week and put it in the bulletin so we can keep track. You know why? Because that's part of being both. We want our teens to learn learn how to pass out tracts. You see, the power, if it's not working, is a negative testimony to the goodness of God. Amen? We want a positive testimony. You see, Jesus did not die on the cross. He did not say, it is finished, just so we could tie up all the loose ends in our theology and understand 
that Jesus has forgiven sins. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He saved us so we can live for Him, so that we can show Him to the world in which we live. That takes power beyond anything you can imagine. Don't cut the cable open hoping to see the sparks. Make sure that it's hooked up at both ends properly and the motor will run. And if the power is not being used, then maybe we better start checking on some things. I can't tell you how many people have given me testimonies. I remember a fellow I met in Florida many, many years ago when I was first in the ministry. Saved. Preacher, I'm saved. Let me tell you, I was out in the Tampa Bay here area swimming and I almost drowned and somebody saved me and I'm saved. I've been born again. I said, that's not what the Bible's taught. He said, don't confuse me, preacher. I'm only alive because Christ wants me to be alive. I said, yes, so you can hear about the gospel and get saved. And he said, I am. I said, if you're trusting in the fact that somebody pulled you out of the water, that's not going to get you out of hell. He said, I don't want to talk about that. How many people give testimony to some good thing God did, but they don't have that living daily relationship. How many of us carry burdens every day that we fight with, that we worry about, that we are concerned with? And they are things that God has put under his power. Do you know what? You can't make your boss keep you on at your job. I remember a few years ago, the big issue was job security when the MTA workers struck. Remember that horrible thing with no buses and no this and no that? I was talking to one of them and I said, is New York City going to stop running the buses and the subways? He said, of course not. I said, then what kind of more job security do you want? Well, I want guarantees that I'm going to get paid and I'm going to get more pay and I'm going to do this and all of this and... I said, you don't need to be talking to the NBA. You need to be talking to the Federal Reserve. I said, you need to be talking to the United States government. As long as U.S. money is going to be worth something, you're going to get a paycheck and they're going to keep the buses running, right? Hey, stop worrying about what God will take care of. But how many of us let our tempers, our inward desires, Our laziness, our apathy, keep us from doing the things on a day-by-day basis that God is really interested in. This is what is being spoken about here. The power of God is going to make us witnesses. Can I tell people about the goodness of Jesus... When they look at 
my family? Can I tell people about the goodness of Jesus when they look at my life? Can I tell people about the goodness of Jesus when I give them a gospel tract? Can I tell people about the goodness of Jesus when I put my offering in the plate to go to foreign missions all over the world? Our testimony tells people about Jesus. What kind of testimony do you have as an individual? Would your friends come to you and say, tell me about what Jesus can do in my life because of what I've seen him do in your life? If not, we better check the power supply. We better check the cabling. We better make sure that what's going on is what ought to be going on in our lives. Here's what Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. After Jesus rose from the dead, after Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus wants the Holy Spirit to live within each one of us. And he wants each one of us to be a display of his goodness and his grace in the world in which we live. This morning is a challenge to get out God's mirror that never distorts and look and ask God to fix the things that need to be fixed. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, this is something we as a church must address. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things that we are concerned with that are under your power and should be no concern of ours. That we would confess those things as the sins that they are and forsake them. That we'd leave them here at an old-fashioned altar. Lord, that we wouldn't waste our time trying to cut the power cable to see if any sparks fly out. But that we would make sure that it's grounded in the Word of God. And in a life that's obedient to the Word of God. That we may be the witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever we go that we would show his love instead of our own selfishness, that we would show his grace instead of our own concerns. Lord, what a battle this is every day. That we would be witnesses unto you both in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Lord, that we would be faithful to you here as well as overseas and every place in between. We ask that you would work in our lives. And Lord, though this message is primarily preached to those that know you as their Savior, we pray for those in our midst that are not saved, that you would convict them of a need of a living relationship with the living God. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. The hymn of invitation.